Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. This is one place where it's getting hot in here, so take off all your clothes does not apply. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine. Summertime is here. Happy summer 2016. Uh, In tonight's show for Pipe Parts, we're going to talk about kind of a refresher and a little bit more tips on how to how to find out uh, how to find out who made your pipe or where your pipe is from uh, how to identify your pipe that might be a might be a way to go about this one uh, my guest tonight is uh, reborn pipes or better known as Steve Lau Steve will be on the phone with me all the way from uh, Canada again so we're going back up to the north of the border um, you know like hey may have some of us moving up there. Um, anyway, uh, mailbag music, thanks to Ed Green, and a rant. All that in uh, tonight's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. So uh, this is the uh, this is the time of the year where I'm not a uh, particular fan of my job as the head of sales and marketing for the Sutliff and McBaron companies. And the reason I'm not a particular fan of it is is because everybody's going into summer vacations and summer breaks, and I see people that are uh, taking all these wonderful trips and going to all these places and stuff like that, and I'm gearing up and getting ready for our biggest trade show of the year, the IPCPR, which means I leave for Las Vegas on uh, July 22nd, 23rd. it takes about a month of uh, pretty much a month of solid work to get ready for the show, and it rarely allows me any kind of uh, traditional vacation time. Um, but you know, it, it, it's part of the job, and I've uh, done this now for eighteen years, seventeen years, gotten ready for the trade show, so I'm kind of used to it. And hopefully, this year's show will be a good one. And uh, hopefully you guys out in the West cool down a little bit, because uh, 118, 119 doesn't sound uh, too inviting to go outside into. All right, let's get the show rolling. So I want to thank you all for tuning in. Sit back, relax, fire up a bowl, and here we go. Do you need a reliable source for ordering pipes and tobacco? Do you find it difficult to get your favourite blends outside of the US? Fournoggins.com stocks all of your favourite pipes and tobaccos and ships all over the world. All forms of payment are accepted and orders are processed the same day. There are no worries when ordering from Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com is your source for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We ship in the US and international with no worries. Fournoggins.com for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. 
Achilles Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs, comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. We are back. All right, so who made that pipe is a uh, frequently asked question uh, on the forums, on uh, it, at pipe shows, and so on and so on. Now, uh, Steve Davenport sent me a message on Facebook, and he had located a pipe called a Lord Davenport, which he was interested in, and now he's tracked down about uh, almost a dozen of them. And wanted to find out if I knew more ways to uh, more ways to look into the history of the pipe. Uh, now, there's the basic places to look for. Uh, Pipedia.org is my primary go-to, and even on Pipedia, the Lord Davenport pipes, there's a link for them and a little bit of information. Now. If it, if that doesn't help you, uh, Chris's Pipe Pages is another great spot. There's a lot of old catalogs, and that's in the process of being updated on a on a regular basis and cleaned up, and more stuff added to it. But there's a lot of old uh, old catalogs and old trade of uh, trade related uh, publications on there that will help you go through and look for stuff. Um, when you're looking at a pipe and it may be, it's not, let's say it's not a name you recognize and it, but it does have a made in country or has a factory shape number. Try to identify if that made in looks like another brand, because as, as we've talked about many times before, a lot of the, a lot of the British pipe factories made a ton of stuff for other people. But they would still use their own uh, made-in stamps and their own factory shape numbers, and that's how I've identified a whole flock of my uh, Walt Disney World pipes. Um, but between Chris's Pipe Pages and Pipedia.org, the other place that I really like is Pipefill, P-I-P-E-P-H-I-L dot E-U, and he has done a wonderful job of assembling links to. Uh, Stampings on pipes, markings on stems, and uh, has done just a just a fantastic job there. Um, now, if you're looking even further for a uh, for some high end pipes, there was a great book put out in 1997 by Herb Wilzak and Tom Cowell called "Who Made That Pipe," and it's primarily going to be the high grades, but it does go into some factory stuff. It's out of print. You got to find it on eBay or find it on Amazon. But again, it's a again, it's a great source. It's not available online. Maybe someday somebody will uh, do an e version of it and uh, put it on Amazon. Um, now, one of the things that Steve said that he found was he found an article from magazines in the 40s and 50s with 
Davenport pipes in there. So I got started looking and got started searching around. And sure enough, if you go through some of the magazine publications of the time, the, the 30s, 40s, 50s, even the 60s, you'll see ads for pipes in there. If the magazine is online at archive.org, uh, you can flip through the actual pages and read them. The other place that I poked around because there was some information about uh, Lord Davenport Pipes and being in New York City was uh, looking into New York the New York Times. Uh, look into their archives, see what you can find. You may have to sign up and become a member. Or you can also look into the historic business licenses of those places. Uh, patent searches on the uh, U.S. Patent Office will give you some indication if for some reason they patented a name or trademarked a name or registered a specific process. That's another great place to see if you can find out some more history on that brand uh, or that stamping and maybe give you a little bit more insight into it. Uh, but again, you got to be, uh, when you get to that point, when you're starting to look at old newspaper articles and old magazine articles and patent searches, uh, you got to be a bit of a uh, Sherlock Holmes yourself and start digging around and really see what you can find. Uh, it may take you a long time to find anything. Um, other suggestion is, you know, get get out to a pipe show and bring the pipes with you and ask everybody that looks like they deal in, in estate pipes or deal in older pipes. Ask everybody if they know anything about it. Uh, tell them you're trying to find out more information about this pipe. Uh, that's how I just started doing my uh, Disney World and my Disney pipe and tobacco collection, just by asking questions and then starting to dig around and writing letters and uh, sending emails to people. You just gotta you gotta take the time. You're not gonna be able to post in the forums and go uh, who made this pipe and get the entire answer all the time. But hey, you can post in the forums if you want to. All right, there you go. Uh, who made that pipe or how to find out where that pipe was made. And in just a minute, Steve Lau will be on the phone with me. This is Internet Radio. There's nothing quite like working in my shop or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. If you're looking for quality, if you're looking for a variety... And if you're looking for someone with a reputation for nothing but the best, you're looking for CupOfJoes.com. CupOfJoes.com has hundreds of pipes to choose from and thousands of different pipe tobaccos. CupOfJoes.com is also your one-stop shop for Peterson Pipes, their exclusive line of Peterson Kelly Pipes. Check out their remodeled website at CupOfJoes.com. And be sure to like them on Facebook, CupOfJoes.com. Quality products at extraordinary prices. Welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show, and I love getting the getting the uh, the restoration guys in, the repair guys. I love having you guys on the show, and joining us is one from uh, that country up to the north of us, uh, the owner of Reborn Pipes. Please welcome Steve Lau to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Good to be here. Thanks, Brian, for inviting me. 
Yeah, so let, let, before we get into the fun stuff of the uh, dirty pipes and the nastiest pipe you've ever seen, uh, tell us where did you grow up and where are you from and where are you living now? Let's see, I was born in Iowa, lived in Chicago for about six years, and then spent most of my early childhood and teenage years in Idaho, and went to college in Oregon, and down in, worked on my master's down in Southern California, Escondido, San Diego area. And now I'm in Vancouver, been around Vancouver area for almost 30 years. So what took you up to Vancouver? Well, originally I came up as a church planter with the Presbyterian Church. And I did that for, goodness, probably, I guess about 18 years. And then for the last 12 years I've been working for an NGO that deals with uh, rescuing women and children from human trafficking. Wow. So, so... um so uh working on pipes is not your uh, is not your full time and your uh, and your first calling. No, it's kind of uh the sanity the sanity work I do. <laughs> so so did you go to did you go to seminary or uh, I mean I did. I went to seminary at uh, Westminster in California. So you were down in Southern California while I was there. Yeah, I left there in I'm trying to think of the years. I bet it, I think it was '89. Yes, yeah, so that's uh, that's when I was I was happily working at Disneyland and um, uh, trying to uh, meet as many women as possible. <laughs> there you go. Um, so when yeah, we spent quite a bit of time there. So so when is it? I mean, when you, so would you go out and help start up brand new churches? Yeah, basically, I moved up here with my family, and we just uh, moved into an area and started meeting people and started up a church. And I did, what did I do here? I think four of them in the time I was in, that I worked up here. So you just get them, you get them going, and then, uh, and then turn them over to, to another uh, pastor or minister to run them? And... Yeah, eventually that's what happened. Uh, I think the longest one I stayed at was about 12, was, oh, goodness, what was it, 10 years, I think, something like that, during my kids' teenage years. Ah, yeah, stay planted so that everybody could, uh, so that everybody could finish high school together? That's what we were working on, yeah. It, uh, kept the sanity level pretty good for us. I have four daughters, so. Oh, well, that, that explains the pipe work right away. (laughs) Uh, so when did uh, when did you start smoking a pipe? Uh, probably the first time I started smoking a pipe, I was probably about 17. I was in high school, and all my buddies were smoking cigarettes, and I thought, yeah, I don't want to do that. I want to smoke the pipe. So my uncle had smoked one earlier when I was a kid growing up, and I uh, used to ride around his Volkswagen bus with him when he was in Iowa, uh, delivering dry cleaning and tailoring, and I just loved the smell of it, so... Came time, I went and bought my first one. All right, where were you? Where were you living when you bought your first pipe? Idaho. And, and was there a good pipe shop available to you? Well, no. I don't. <laughs> I don't think there were pipe shops anywhere near there. So I bought my. It was a drugstore pipe. I think it was probably a Medico, if I remember right. And uh, I think I tried everything from Middleton's Cherry to Borkum Riff and. Ended up staying with Borkham Rift for quite a while. I don't think I found 
a pipe shop until I went to Southern California. And and so is that when you kind of at that point did you get out of the medico style pipes and yeah, the... well, pretty much. I mean, I quit for a while. I think I laid it aside for a little bit just because of babies and school and everything else. And then uh, when my first daughter was born in '82. I went and bought one. I was driving. I left the hospital. I don't know what time it was, 5 a.m., 6 a.m. Went by a 7-Eleven, picked up a Medico and a pouch of tobacco. And and from then on, I, I tried it, and then I drove to a pipe shop and got myself a decent, I think it was, uh, trying to look at the name, it was a Preben Home, I believe. And I picked up some nice uh, Virginia, and from then on, it was all I, all I smoked. Now, have you tried all different styles of tobacco and tried, I mean, have you, has your taste moved around at all, or have you yeah, stuck with yeah, Virginia's? I think probably for the first, oh, from the time my daughter was born until probably about, I'm trying to think, five, six years ago, I smoked just about solely Virginia and Virginia Perique. And then in the last few years, I've been dabbling with Balkans and a little bit with some English. I went to Chicago one year, and I got somebody gave me some Balkan Sobrani, uh, one of the English blends. I don't even remember the numbers on it now, but I, I I thought, wow, this is actually quite good. And it's been downhill since then. <laughs> well, more or less. I, I still pretty much my go-to is Virginia, Virginia Preaks. So when when you started smoking, you could just walk around just about anywhere you wanted and smoke a pipe and yeah. Yeah, that is exactly what it was like. Uh, you know, and we used to sit in front of the principal's office across the street and smoke our pipes. There's a couple <laughs> of us, and uh, it was not legal to smoke it on the school property, supposedly. So we'd sit across the street and relax and enjoy our pipes. And then on the way home from the hospital, did the hospital have a smoking room? Uh, no, actually. I was driving in my car. It was actually a crazy morning. I'd driven in the car, and I was coming across an intersection in Escondido and uh, pulled into the 7-Eleven, and a cop pulled up behind me and pulled me over and jumped out of the car, and he said I'd, he wouldn't even tell me what I'd done, but I said, whoa, I'm just coming here to get a pipe and some tobacco. My daughter was just born, and I want to celebrate. And I don't know what he said, but he gave me a ticket for running a light, I think, but it was like 5.30 in the morning, so I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'd been up for 24 hours with my wife. Yeah, the, the, you and the cop might have been the only one near the traffic light for a mile. Pretty much, there was nobody around, so it was uh, it was a funny morning. But I, I got my pipe and I sat there in 7-Eleven parking lot and just uh, enjoyed a bowl and kind of toasted the good the good you know kind of good fortune having my first kid. Yeah. Uh, and then the pipe smoking stayed with you all the way through, even to the move up yeah, to Vancouver? Yeah, it's been there ever since, pretty much. And I'm 61. So, it's been a while. Yeah, now, I want to go back and ask you about the about working with the with human trafficking, because it's, I mean, it, now, you're, now you're working on a bigger, bigger cause, but uh, what, what exactly are you doing? I work for an organization that uh, we provide long-term recovery for women who've been women and children who've been trafficked, and we're in goodness we have we're in Canada, the U.S., Germany, uh, Bulgaria, Hungary, um, Greece, and Nepal, 
at this point in the game. I think we have about 14 locations. We train nationals and set them free to do work. And our, we have, I think, probably one of the few long-term recovery programs. A woman enters in and we keep them from three to seven years, provide housing, recovery, and then job training and job skills. So that when they go out, they have a full-time employment. Now, I, are most of these women, I, I've, I saw recently a report where some of them are involved in the uh, in nail salons, but uh, I would assume some of them are in much, much worse situations than that. Yeah, nail salons is kind of the tip of the iceberg. You have a bunch of, it depends on the country. Eastern Europe, the countries there that we're in, the girls actually work the streets, and they're on the ring roads around the city. In also in Greece, it's some of the same kind of thing. Pretty heavy control by the by the criminal elements, and so we actually don't pull them off the streets. We um, use agencies that are already out there doing the work, but we provide the long-term recovery and the out for them. Yeah, I, I would they're also. Doing it, they've been doing it. The organization's 27 years old, so been doing it a long time. I mean, I would imagine it's also somewhat dangerous for the organization because you're dealing with some not very nice people well beautifully we've had no trouble and the reason i think by and large is because we do we're the second stage uh some of the other organizations rescue and then bring them out and then we have them from that point on so we've had actually no trouble in 27 years and we're running pretty close in uh, Nepal we're running an 80% success rate and the rest of the world we're in we're running about 73%. Wow. Yeah, so it's a pretty it's a pretty uh, effective program so that the women that come out 73% of them never go back at this point. Yeah, and they and they go on to live a uh, a, a fulfilled a life. life you got it. It's, we actually break the generational cycle. Because typically what happens is it's multi-generational. Now, are most of these are most of these women coming from what we would consider to be like a third world country or a... a... No, actually. it's uh, In Canada and the U.S., a lot of them, depends on what side of the country you're on, western U.S., you got a lot of Mexican-Americans, Hispanics coming up from Latin America. And then just the average middle... You know, lower caste, lower class kid that's been in social services and foster care, and you know, and somebody comes along and tells them they love them, and that's the same thing we have in Canada actually. And so there's a lot of trafficking across provinces. And when you have like Olympics or soccer or whatever tournaments, then the the rate of the women coming into a, a community it, you know expands big time. Oh. Is there a uh, is there some way the listeners of this show can help? I would imagine this is a, a nonprofit organization. Yeah, we've been we're a nonprofit. We're called the SA Foundation. S is in Steve, A is in Alan. Foundation, which stands for Servants Anonymous, and we have a website, safoundation.com, and people can go on there and take a look and read about what we do. And if you're interested, there's a donate button on the page. So uh, us pipe smokers can uh, help a little bit, and then we can, uh, we can also know that uh, maybe uh, the more help you get, the more time you'll have to work on pipes. There you go. So I think one of the reasons I do the pipe bit is just it's, a, it's something that actually gets finished, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, let's hold off on that. We'll talk about the pipes in just a minute because I want to take a break right here because that's a perfect spot, so stay with us. We'll talk pipes in just a minute, and we'll be right back. I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. At Cornell & Deal, we think the best things in life are better with age, and we are passionate about creating the best possible pipe tobacco available. Fueled by this passion, we introduced the Cellar Series, a collection of blends like no other. While the blends in this series are ready to smoke now, each one has been meticulously designed to optimize depth and complexity as the tobacco ages in the tin. Currently, the Cellar Series is comprised of Oak Alley, Chenay's Cake, Joie de Vivre, Old Grove, and Bourbon Blue, but we will be unveiling new additions to this very special series as time goes on. Pick up a tin to smoke now and save a few for later enjoyment so that you can experience all the richness and subtlety each blend will reveal through the years. Cornell and Deal's Cellar Series. The secret ingredient is time. Contact your local or online retailer for information. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with uh, Steve Lau of Reborn Pipes. And uh, so first of all, how did you come up with the name Reborn Pipes? Just the idea of uh, taking an old pipe and rebirthing it, you know, taking it from the ground up and bringing it back to life was (laughs) kind of the underlying thing about it. And then kind of tags into what I do for a living as well. Yeah, taking uh, taking people and pipes that have been beat up and making them all shiny again. You got it. Yeah. So what, giving them a second second luck on life. So how did you learn, and what made you want to get started? I think probably the the easiest way to describe it. I was living in, I was going to school, working on a master's degree, so my income was limited, and. Uh, all the good pipes were way more than I could buy, so I started picking up a state, and then uh, I'd start cleaning them up and just gradually, slowly, but surely learned that. Anytime I had questions, I'd, I'd call guys like Dave Wolf or, oh, I, you know, different ones all over the countryside and say, hey, how'd you do this? And then they'd walk me through the process, and over the years, I've just I've learned to do it. So I've been doing it, goodness, probably 30 years now. Was there a part of the process of cleaning that took you a while to learn? I think probably the the one that took the most was restemming and trying to get that stem shank junction just perfect without rounding shoulders on either the pipe or the or the stem. That was one area, and then I think probably the other one for me was just stains beginning being able to match colors to what they were originally. Yeah, I mean, that took some time. You must have an enormous uh, assortment of stains available because you're trying to match what the original pipe was. Well, it's funny. You don't really need a whole lot. It's just a matter of mixing and and blending with alcohols and several different browns, and then you've got your oxblood or cordovan, and you've got blacks, and you can fiddle around and, and reduce and blend and get them thicker, lighter, however you want to do it with the amount of alcohol you put in. And then it just looks like it's the original, and you put a coat of wax on, and you're done. Pretty close. I mean, that's the 
you know, quick and dirty to do. Yeah, it takes <laughs> it takes a while to get it to from the ground up to where you're going. And it just depends on what I'm doing. Some of them I try to, I you know, if I'm just restoring, doing a quick cleanup, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't take long, and then you're right, it is pretty quickly, boom, you're done. But there's some, like I've been, I, one of the challenges I have going with myself and another guy that does a blog called Dad's Pipes is we try to find kind of the worst possible, beat-up, most ugly-looking thing and try to bring it back to life. And we've been having fun with that. <laughs> and uh, it's incredible what we've been able to do. Like I bought, I picked up an old Escorty with a big chunk missing out of the side of it, cut up a new chunk, fitted in, re-rusticated it, blasted it, uh, restained it, and you, uh, you'd be hard-pressed to find where the repa- replacement is. Now, how long will it take you to to reborn a uh, a, a fairly bad-looking pipe? Usually, yeah. Uh, the, the worst part is the stems. They take the most time. The body and the stem together, probably five hours, six hours, if it's really bad. Wow. And, and when you say the worst part is the stem, why why is that? Uh, the oxidation on some of the old stems you have to deal with, and then you got to deal with tooth marks and tooth dents and all kinds of abuse that that stem has taken. Sometimes a broken tenon that I have to replace. Yeah, and just working out the oxidation, depending on how it's been, how often the thing's been cleaned, which often seems to be never. Yeah, uh, it can take forever to get that oxidation to rise to the surface. So I picked up some tricks along the way, and I, you know, I've got it streamlined so it takes less time than it used to. Now, do you ever find oxidation in the draft hole of a stem? In the stem itself, not so often. It, it'll go. Uh, Usually the tenon is nice and sharp black, and the and the button and the slot is often quite good. But you don't see the oxidation down in. Rather, what you see down in there is a lot of sludge and buildup. You wonder how anybody got to breathe air through it sometimes. Well, those people are just saving money on pipe cleaners. <laughs> I think so. Uh, it's quite funny. I just I'm working on one now. It's one I picked up when I was in Bulgaria last week, and it's uh. Oh, an Alco, and the the stem. It's a beautiful pipe. It's probably 1930s era, and the uh, the slot in the end of the stem was absolutely closed off. I could get a paper a paper clip through it, and that was about it. Just the tip of a paper clip, and I've got it back to almost normal. And I probably put about three hours into that one. Yes, I can I can see how it's nice to. Uh... <laughs> Nice to get your mind away from your uh, from your daily job and just dig into beating on grime. Yeah, it really, it's uh, it's nice because at the end of the day, you know, I get one done or two done. I had a couple days of holiday this week, so I've cranked out about ten of them this last weekend. And it's just, uh, yeah, I don't know, it's relaxing to move it from ugly to a piece of beauty. Now, when you you talked about the uh, about the the junction of the stem and the shank. Yeah. Yeah. Do you do those as one piece together, or do you separate them and work on them and work on them separately? Kind of a both end. It's a both end method. I've uh, I use a little plastic washer that I that I've crafted out of a bread tab, and I insert that between the shank and the stem, and that way allows me to keep the shoulders uh, flat on the stem. They never round over. And then once it's uh, really, you know, pretty, 
pretty close. I'll put it on without the bread tab and then just buff the entirety. Yeah, I mean, you have to you have to be careful buffing in that area because you can oh, you uh, the wood can fall away faster than the stem material or vice you versa. You betcha. Yeah, depending on whether you're using an old soft vulcanite or if you got a hard one or a lucite. But yeah, you're right. The you can really you can mess up the junction pretty quick. That's yeah. where I see a lot of a lot of the ones that I've you know fixed that other guys have sent me that they worked on. That's the place that's the most damaged. Is the, you can run your thumb across it. It's not smooth. You have a dent, right? Yeah. And then if you look at it with the light, it's kind of like hips on the crazy thing. Or the worst spot, the worst things that I've seen is somebody keeps lighting the pipe in the same spot, and there's a little divot yeah, out of the too. rim. Yeah, that too. That's a that's a, you know as long as it's in one spot. A couple of them I've had the guy moved his way around, and there was three of those little dingies in the rim. <laughs> well, at least he had a little variety. Yeah, he must have smoked that thing forever because it was uh, it was an old timer, and it was the sad part of it was it was a Kamoi blue ribbon, Ooh. and the thing was just absolutely the rim was trashed. Wow! I was able to redeem it, but you know it's obviously changed the shape of it a little bit as you bring down some of those burn marks. Now, will you take in? restoration work for uh for us normal people yeah no i have been it's a it's kind of a i started taking it in for other guys probably within the last oh year and a half i've done quite a few over the last year and a half for folks on well both from pipes magazine and from some other forums that i'm on they'll send it over and it's not a big deal to get it into canada it comes in as a used pipe and they think you're insane for shipping used pipes, and I'm crazy for taking them. <laughs> so there's no duties that exchange and nothing, and it goes pretty slick. usually takes me a week to turn them around and go back. And if I were to just need the stems cleaned, you'd need the, uh, you'd need the bowl with it too, correct? I do, yeah, just to make sure everything's smooth and the transition's right. Otherwise, you end up with a mess. Yeah. And then the the pipes that you put up for sale on your website, uh, where do you find those besides uh, Bulgaria? <laughs> I just about everywhere I go, I'm looking for pipes. So I've picked them up all over the world. And uh, my brother in Idaho picks up a lot of them for me through different shops he's visited and antique shops, etc. And so I've probably got a box here of over 200 of them that i got to work on still. So, so, so you got plenty of work for uh, many, many years to I, go. I do. I've got probably close to that finished, and that I've put up a lot. I've sold a lot through the blog, and I've got probably another 150 that I can put up there within the next month or so. I'll start putting them in again. But yeah, it's uh, it's just well, I got to turn them around to get them out. My wife's thinking I'm nuts. I've got piles of pipes laying around, besides the one I'm smoking. <laughs> <laughs> now, how big is your uh, is your personal collection of pipes? I've got probably close to two hundred. I've got about four different collections. I have a kind of a artisan's collection where I got basically American pipes in the artisan collection. A little bit of everything from uh, oh Steve, well American meaning Canadian and North, but I got Jack. Uh, what's his name? Jack Howell pipes. I've got a bunch of Rad Davis. I've got 
A little bit of everything. Uh, Steve Downey picked up, uh, oh, what's his name? And Oh, I can't even think of his name now. He's a Canadian over in Ontario. I can't his name just escapes me. But anyway, I've got quite a few that I've picked up all over the world from different guys. But that's one collection. Then I have an English, old English collection that's basically BBBs and GBDs and uh, some Charitons, some Kamoys, that kind of thing. Then I've got an older American collection, kind of WDC, um, CPF, those kind of lines from way back, old Linkmans, that kind of thing. Wow. And then I've got kind of a weird and odd collectibles line that's everybody's hunt for the perfect smoke. So things that have loops in the stem to, you know, three tubes of metal to every functional way of doing it to get it supposedly the cooler smoke. Little dabs of cotton that are stuck in the bottom of the bowl and a screw-on filter. Yeah. That kind of thing. So I like oddities, too. <laughs> So it's kind of like the that's the uh, freak show for the circus. You got it. <laughs> I probably got about twenty of those different odds and ends of stuff. And now tell us what goes on on the blog. I mean, there's a ton of posts on your website. Yeah, I've got um, right. I've been writing the blog for about three and a half years, and I've got thirty guys writing for me that are global. So guys from Belgium, Netherlands, England, got a Spaniard, got. Uh, Quite a few Americans, Canadians, have a, one guy that's done Indonesia. So I've got quite a few guys writing for me, and they'll send in submissions, basically, and we post them on the blog. It's basically how to from taking an old beat-up pipe all the way through to rest, full restoration, whether it be restemming, restaining, rebuilding, etc. And it's step-by-step procedures along with pictures, lots of photos, and so people can do a, a search. I think if you Google just about anything now, it comes up reborn pipes as one of those things. If it's taking oxidation of a stem, if it's rebuilding a broken stem, if it's patching and repairing holes in the briar, if it's replacing fills, taking out the pink putty and putting another, building a new new filled material, uh, bowl coat, everything. I mean, we cover the whole works. and. It's been good to see the thing grow. I put it up there just to collect some of the stuff I've been working on three and a half years ago, and it's gone from me putting up a few things to just an amazing amount of guys writing. Al Jones, who's one of your moderators on Pipes Magazine, is, yeah. was one of the first guys that writes for me. And there's even some tobacco reviews on there. There are. There's some tobacco reviews. There's accessory reviews. There's book reviews. There's new pipe reviews. A little bit of everything. And there might even be a bad review of a podcast or two. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think we've done any of that. Uh-oh. Maybe we ought to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, never even, never crossed our minds, actually. Yeah, well, it's, it, it, this is kind of new school. Yeah, it's new, but it's also it's a small enough world that uh, we might as well not shoot each other. Yeah. Our pipe world, might as well keep each other living and support the cause yeah, there's few enough yeah, as enough it is to shut us down yeah, yeah and uh just so that just so that all of us uh all of us united states of americans don't feel so bad uh what's the price of a 50 gram tin of tobacco in your neighborhood up there <laughs> oh it's outrageous i can get a, a tin of dunhill now 
say early morning pipe runs me about anywhere in the neighborhood of forty-two to forty-seven dollars. A tin of Christmas cheer, if I can get it now, the hundred grams runs me about seventy-five to eighty dollars. That's one tin, not one pound. No, one tin. Yeah, so for those of us that are going through, uh, that are fearful of the changes that are happening here in the United States, it could always be worse. <laughs> yeah, it's getting more, we got a lot of uh, smoking nannies up here as well. We don't, we're not allowed to smoke within so many feet of doorways, no public spaces, no parks, no beaches, uh, any of that stuff. Walking down the sidewalk, you're not supposed to. And it's uh, a bit crazy it's gotten that way. Even now they've put a rule through that you can't smoke in your car if you have children in the car. Yeah, they're just trying to save those future hockey players. (laughs) Doing something. I don't know. Sometimes I think they don't have enough to do, so they just kind of bother us. Well, Steve, we will uh, wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Yep, ready. What's your favorite pipe? Uh, My favorite pipe right now is, uh, it's an old GBD 9438 that I've had probably, oh man, Probably close to 20 years, and right next to it is a, a Tinsky Apple. Those two are probably, they've traveled the world with me. What's your favorite tobacco? Uh, my number one is 5100 McClellan. What's your favorite drink? Uh, let's see. Hot tea is the number one, but then I love uh, Maker's Mark. Well, you are an American. Um <laughs> when it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Generally, I have some music in the background, and I read. And then the final question is, do you have a particularly favorite pipe-smoking-related memory that we haven't talked about? Yeah, probably my most favorite one was, I don't know if you ever knew Mike Leverett. Do you know that name? I know the name. I don't think Mike. I ever met him. Mike was uh, an old-timer. He was a Marine who used to be bodyguard for Nixon when he was vice president. And uh, Mike and I used to meet yearly in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'd usually bring a pipe and a couple tins of tobacco, and we'd swap out, and then we'd sit in a little restaurant there in Atlanta, smoke our pipes and trade stories. And he's just a good old guy. And he, he was writing a book on Peterson history that has now been taken over by Mike, Mark Irwin. Yeah, and it should be coming out in the next few, well, probably this year, actually. But that's probably the best one. Mike and I meeting together yearly for a good course of probably ten, fifteen years. Wow! And I you still could... got one of the. Actually, I got a couple of the barlings he gave me, and one of the ones I gave him was an old Pete Dublin, and uh, just before he, just when he died, his wife sent it up to me after his death, and it went through Mark Irwin up to me, and it's. Uh, it's kind of cool to have one that left Canada, went to Georgia, came back to Canada. So that's kind of neat to have those kind of stories. Yeah, and it's kind of fun to smoke that pipe and think of all those uh, all those times sitting in a restaurant where Absolutely. you could smoke a pipe. Absolutely. And time with Mike and enjoying his company. 
So the Reborn Pipes website is Reborn Pipes, R-E-B-O-R-N-P-I-P-E-S dot com. And the SA Foundation is SAFoundation.com. I'm sure every little bit will help. And uh, if you've got a pipe that needs some help, you can send it up there to Steve. Excellent. Thanks a lot, Mark. I appreciate this, Brian. Thank you. And we'll be back in just a minute. There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. Signore, signore, scusi per favore, but what is that intoxicating and delicious aroma coming from your pipe? Oh, uh, this is Molto Dolce, my all-time favorite blend from Sutliff Tobacco. Do you like it? I found it on SutliffMoltoDolce.com. Do you mind if I try? Oh, signore, this truly is Molto Dolce. So charming that you even speak my language, as it is truly very sweet. (laughs) Just like you, I am sure. I can just taste the warm caramel and sweet dripping honey gushing through my mouth. Oh, and even better, the rich vanilla flavor plays so well with the other tastes over my tongue. It is like they are all having a giant playful pillow fight on smooth and silky sheets of tobacco in my mouth. Pure heaven! Mi piace moltissimo, mi amore. Can't you see it, signore? I can see it. I can see it. And signore... Best of all, no tongue bite. Grazie un milione for the pipe, signore. Hey! Satleft Tobacco Company will not be held responsible for any loss of one's favorite pipe customers may experience when smoking our delicious Malto Dolce blend in public. This is Internet Radio. Welcome back. All right, so uh, check out Steve's uh, website, and uh, hey, let's see if we can help out his uh, foundation and... Maybe help make a few lives better. Um, all right, so for music tonight, uh, listener Ed Green sent me a link to uh, Gerald Finzi, who is a, a British composer and a lifelong pipe smoker. And it's uh, uh, not uh, not surprising because uh, Finzi's later works uh, were more... Uh, more in the style of uh, Bach and Ernest Bloch, uh, two guys that we've both featured on here before, and uh, both of them pipe smokers. Anyway, Gerald Finzi, British-born, lifelong pipe smoker. This is uh, Opus 23, I believe. Let me look this up real quick, sorry. Yeah, Opus 23 of Finzi's Bagatellas, which is... uh, I guess uh, it's called the Five Bagatella. So here it is, Gerald Finzi. Thank you. 
Finzi's last name is spelled F-I-N-Z-I. And if you've got a suggestion for music, please email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com, just like Ed did. Oh boy, we've got a message. In the mailbag. All right, so the past two Saturdays have been uh, have been good days for me. Uh, two weeks ago, got to hang out with Jody Davis while he was in town. Went to uh, McCraney's and uh, hung out there. And then this past Saturday, a local listener reached out to me. His name is Lance, and uh, Lance uh, realized that the <laughs> realized that the Concord I was that he was talking about was that I was talking about is this one right here. And uh, anyway, he's a uh, at one point he was an artist working at uh, Walt Disney World and quite a, a talented artist himself. We hung out again at McCraney's for a couple hours on Saturday. And uh, Lance was kind enough to gift me a uh, 1980s-era Mickey Mouse telephone, which is now prominently displayed on the top shelf of my uh, bookshelf in here because I don't have a landline anymore. Um, But it was still fun to meet him, and uh, I'm sure we'll hang out again. Uh, Going forward, uh, click over here, there we go. Howard Oakes wrote me, uh, you've mentioned books that contain pipe smoking in them. I've not heard anything about a series of books called The Wheel of Time by Robert Jordan. Pipes and tobacco are prominent throughout the series. The main characters come from an area that is known around the world for their tobacco. It is highly sought out and many of the characters smoke a pipe. I've read and listened to them a number of times it gets slow at times but for the most part a good read there is talk of a tv series and if it is done it will be interesting to see how they handle the tobacco issue yeah let's see if they sidestep that one anyway he goes on to write uh, but it is a uh, commitment to read it it started as a trilogy but ended up being 15 books and not small books published over 23 years uh, Robert Jordan, pen name for James Oliver Rigney Jr., died before he could finish the series, but left enough notes and passages for Brandon Sanderson to finish the last three books. And he gives a link to the uh, the Wheel of Time series. I do know that uh, Mr. Rigney was a uh, lifelong pipe smoker himself. So that made me think, all right, we uh, we know the Sherlock Holmes series, we know Tolkien, what other, and this is summertime where we've got some vacation time and some travel time and maybe a little bit of extra time to read, what other books are really good pipe and tobacco related books for summertime reading? Uh, J.M. Barry and uh, My Lady Nicotine, the uh, Alice and Through the Looking Glass good books um this latest movie not so good haven't seen it yet but a lot of my friends have said <laughs> not so good don't worry about it um i'll wait for it to come out on dvd but uh what other books do you like to read that feature pipes and pipe tobaccos prominently we've had uh, regis mccafferty on um what other pipe and tobacco reading do you like uh if you're not already, you should be a subscriber of the NASPC's Pipe Collector, because that's uh, 60 some odd pages of pipe reading, comes out four or five times a year, and you should be subscribing to uh, Pipes and Tobacco's magazine. 
Uh, and that comes out four times a year, and that's all good pipe reading, and that helps out my friend uh, Dr. Chuck Stanion. All right. Speaking of the NASPC, let's go over some upcoming pipe shows so that you can get your travel schedule set. Uh, this coming weekend, Friday, June 24th, 25th, and 26th, I will be at the Kansas City Pipe and Tobacco Show in Riverside, Missouri, just north of downtown Kansas City. I'll be there uh, because of the FDA regulations coming down. We'll have a whole bunch of t-shirts to give away, so stop by my uh, Sutliff and McBaron table and see me. And then the next pipe show that you'll see me at, hopefully, is uh, the NASPC in uh, Dublin, Ohio, right outside of Columbus, Ohio. That is August 26th and 27th. And if you're coming in from out of town, spend the extra day on Sunday and go to the Columbus Zoo. It's a uh, world-class zoo. Nashville has set their pipe show for September 23rd and 24th. Uh, The weekend before that, and this may conflict with the schedule, but I'm not sure, I will be in uh, Dortmund for the Inner Tobacco Show in Germany. If you're going to Inner Tobacco, look for me in the uh, McBaron Arnold Andre booth. Come by, say hi, wave at me. October 17th in uh, the Speyer Pipe Show in Speyer, Germany. And then the last one of this year is the 8th Annual West Coast Pipe Show, November 5th and 6th at the Palace Station in Las Vegas, Nevada. Plan on getting yourself out to a pipe show this year. And finally, in the mailbag, uh, just to confirm some sad news, as Dino wrote... Uh, Sadly, Mike Reschke did pass away. He was a friend and fellow Chicago Pipe Collectors Club member, a doctor of pipes, and the the club's long-term president. May his memory be eternal. And as we smoke our pipes, I ask us all to take a moment and uh, remember Mike Reschke. Uh, And then Dino goes on to say, The conversation with Cody Perkins was both informing and entertaining. I love the Bertrand Russell clip. As always, a fine show. Thanks, Dino. And uh, the Bertrand Russell clip, of course, that came from Rick Newcomb, whose article is now up and live on uh, Pipes Magazine, so be sure and check that out. Hey, summertime. We've got plenty of time to read, right? Plenty of time to uh, relax, and uh, let me know where you're going this summer. Take pictures of yourself with your pipe while you're out there. All right, just a minute. Rant time. Meet Aaron, one of the most important people at SmokingPipes.com. In our shipping department, he's one of the cogs in the highly efficient wheel, if you will, that's responsible for making sure your order goes out right every time. Ain't that right, Aaron? I don't know all about that cog and the wheel stuff, but I do know at SmokingPipes.com, I take my work very seriously. Pulling tents of tobacco, weighing bulk tobacco, triple checking orders, and getting them out the door. Since it's so easy to order from SmokingPipes.com, you're keeping Aaron pretty darn busy. Look at him go, go, go. <laughs> In fact, it's been a challenge to get him to stop long enough to say hello. But Aaron doesn't mind. He loves his job at smokingpipes.com. Why is that, Aaron? Because I don't just ship pipes. I smoke them. Gotta run. <laughs> just log on to smokingpipes.com or call us at 1-888-366-0345. We are quality. We are experts. We are smokingpipes.com.
Well, apparently the one thing I don't need help with is stuff to rant about because I've got a list of stuff stockpiled to rant about. This one I'm moving up the list because it's a little topical, a little, a uh, little more, a uh, little uh, to the timing of of recent issues. So I'm going back to the unfortunate accident that happened with the child and the alligator at Walt Disney World, uh, going back about ten days ago now, and I call it an accident because it's an accident, uh, even. Uh, Two days ago, or yesterday, on Facebook, my friend Brad Weinfeld, who lives in the San Fernando Valley in Burbank in the hills, posted pictures of a deer coming down his street, a big buck with a big rack of uh, horns on or antlers on his head coming down there. Even here in my lovely little neighborhood in Concord, North Carolina, We've had complaints from neighbors that live on the edge of the neighborhood. Now, keep in mind, I live about 25 miles outside of the, from downtown Charlotte. There's still forest around. There's still streams around. But now you have large subdivisions that have come in and taken out a whole bunch of trees. And the people that live on the edges of those are complaining about coyotes coming in. Well, even a week and a half ago, I saw a fox running across the street. As I was tootling down the road, out on a uh, 55 mile an hour highway, here comes a fox running across the street. Uh, Bear reports, especially in California where the drought's tough and the weather's bad and they're looking for water. Well, here's what's happening, people. We people are encroaching and taking over this land that used to be held for the animals and we're taking up these precious resources called water and food so don't complain when you happen to accidentally run into mother nature because mother nature she'll come up and get you well there you go there's one rant for you uh listen uh feedback ratings and reviews would be appreciated on itunes uh email me any questions that you got brian at pipesmagazine.com post your comments on uh, the Pipes Magazine radio show page right there on PipesMagazine.com and tell all your friends. Tell all your non-smoking friends. See if they uh, see if they want to listen. <laughs> tell them all about the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh, if you're on Facebook, follow the uh, like the Pipes Magazine radio show page there and you can follow me there and see some of my antics, especially coming up this summer. All right. I want to thank Steve for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to the McBaron Tobacco Company. And until next time. About the clouds when we're together. Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy Gandalf the Grey's pipe. Damn, no shit. Hello, little hobbit.
Spark my ganja. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 